we have a very unique opportunity here with there are elected officials who are not backing down <laughs> on all levels who are raising up, who are getting arrested, who are fighting uh, to make sure that our voices are being heard. And that means that they have to hear your voice to know what they need to be fighting for. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we're back again with our first official episode of the season. And we're going to start it off talking about our democracy here in America. And so, um, you know, there have been numerous conversations around the subject of how fragile our democracy is. And Donald Trump, as we all know, really tested the waters and showed us, you know, some cracks in the system and took advantage of those. And so we wanted to bring on an expert today, somebody who can really talk about uh, what we need to do to protect this democracy here, this very fragile democracy here that we've built here in America. And so today we're really excited uh, to have on Ms. Portia White. She is the Vice President of Voting Rights and States Organizing for End Citizens United. So just to give you a little bit about Portia before we get started, uh, Portia uh, is a lifelong organizer and political strategist. Uh, she has worked on political campaigns on all levels from mayoral to presidential. And so in 2014, Portia worked as the public policy manager at Planned Parenthood Southeast. Then she went on to, beca- to become the national political director at Let America Vote. And so even recently, she was the deputy political director for Deval Patrick uh, 2020 before joining End Citizens United slash Let America Vote as the vice president of voting rights and state organizing. And so like me and Adrian, Portia is a native of of Jackson, Mississippi. We're from different places in Mississippi, uh, but we are all connected uh, from there. And so she is now currently a resident of Decatur, Georgia. So you can find her working there. So uh, Portia, we're excited to talk with you. And we just wanted to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. So let's kind of get into it. There's a lot we wanted to get to. Um, So, you know, the title of the episode is, you know, Protecting Our Democracy. And so the last four years have been trying for a lot of people, damaging to the democracy. Um, You know, President, former President Donald Trump, we can say that now. Um, You know, he definitely pushed authoritarianism into the mainstream and definitely tried to bend and twist our political institutions like they have never been. And so but he is part of a kind of a trend that we've noticed where the power of the presidency has been growing for years. Um, You saw it under President Bush with the war powers uh, resolutions that were passed, the authorization for military force. Um, He was allowed to, to invade two countries. Um, and then even President Obama, you know, was able to really launch a, a drone strike campaign um, without the need for congressional approval. And so it just seems like the power of the presidency has grown. And Donald Trump saw this opportunity. And like I say, he injected politics into the institutions, whether that's, you know, asking Director Comey for, of the FBI for his loyalty um, or launching his own strikes, you know, in Iraq without the need for congressional approval. Um, You know, so our first question is just, you know, what do you think are the lasting effects of the Trump era as far as his, you know, growing the power of the presidency? And do you think, you know, the current Biden administration will really focus on kind of weeding out the partisanship that has kind of uh, seeped into our institutions? Sure. So um, 
as far as that first question goes, I think, of course, Donald Trump didn't get there by himself, right? Like he um, was able to activate a group of voters uh, who are still extremely active um, and are still um, pervasive in every facet of our democracy right now, uh, from storming the United States Capitol and threatening um, elected officials and people who work for the administration um, to uh, this big lie that they are constantly uh, talking about on Twitter and wherever they can find uh, people who will listen to them on the internet. So I think that we have a lot of work to do, um, one, to restore confidence in our democracy, right? Um, But also to not give air to these uh, people who are not just promoting racism and sexism and all the isms uh, that we're constantly fighting against, but also who are actively seeking to destroy democracy. And as far as that second question, I look, we are... Uh, less than 24 hours, I think, away from the first vote on the For the People Act. And what we have seen is that there is not one Republican willing to stand up and say, I am not a fan of all of these voting rights, um, anti-voting rights bills that are being passed in the states. I am not a fan of standing up to big corporations, uh, even though I know that my people are. And I will not vote with Democrats on any substantive bill. Um, and you know, no matter how much we want these things to be bipartisan, it seems like there's already been a line drawn in the sand. So I think that the Biden administration has, um, a lot of work to do, uh, to get over this. And you're absolutely right on that portion. There is so much work to be done for them. And, you know, in thinking about all of that, you you would think that most people would be kind of okay with what's going on with, you know, trying to expand voters' rights. But with a lot of the Republican-led, you know, legislatures, and we're going to talk about that in our next segment, seems like that's not the case. But the other question we wanted to kind of ask you is in kind of picking up with what Devin was talking about, which is that Donald Trump revealed that we need a new system. You know, there's a lot of flaws in the checks and balance system that we have for our presidency in trying to keep up with what they're doing. And it really allowed Donald Trump to get into a dangerous position. And, you know, a lot of people talked about this and I've thought about it a lot. You know, if we had somebody who actually had a little bit more political competence, that would have been really, really dangerous to have somebody in that position. So our second question, Portia, um, what should we do about this to maybe hold a president more accountable? And what new restraints should we maybe consider for our president? Well, I am, you know, trust me, I'm a political science uh, student. And so I have looked at all of the ways that Congress um, and the other branches have held uh, the president responsible. Um, But it seems like because um, it seems like in recent years that either you are all in or you are all out and there has not been um, any sort of checks and balances, especially from the legislature um, on a president. There have been some cases where, especially in the last four years, Congress has just let Donald Trump get away with whatever he wanted to because they were in the ruling party and wanted to pacify him like he was a child. uh, So he would sign whatever bills they sent before him. uh, And then when he would throw a fit, they would just kind of concede. Right. Um, And we're seeing I I think that we will see a little bit more pushback um, in the Biden administration, at least uh, from congressional members who are pushing him to fight for the reforms that we were, that they were elected to fight for in Congress. Um, I think we are seeing that with the 
passage of, well, at least with the passage of some of the bills in the House um, that are maybe a little bit more left than President Biden wants to go. But Congress people are standing up for the folks that they were elected to serve. And so hopefully they will be able to sort of um, push for the progressive reforms that we are hoping will come out of this administration. And of course, uh, on the judicial side, we've got judges who are still relics from 20, 30 years ago uh, who will challenge a lot of these um, ideas that both Congress and the president will put forth. So I think right now there is going to be a decent balance, but we're still in the first year, right? Um, I think that as we start to see what sort of judges will take play, uh, will take office, see what sort of uh, Congress will look at and how strong and unified they're going to be, we'll be able to uh, get a better sense of how President Biden will um, will move on some issues and how he'll be challenged. Right. And I I think one of the interesting things when you talk about, not to continue talking about Trump, but when you look at his presidency, at least to me, it seems like a lot of his, you know, quote unquote power was the fact that he didn't mind using his microphone, you know, with the media to attack people in his own party to get them to do things that he wanted them to do, which is something we really haven't seen before. Um, You know, that personal attacks on people who didn't necessarily agree. Um, And what you see with Joe Biden is you're not going to see those types of things. But do you think that Joe Biden could be at least a little more, I guess, firm, maybe is the word, as far as like when you see people like Joe Manchin, for, for instance, who is kind of sort of standing in the way of the For the People Act and has his own revisions, do you think a Joe Biden could be maybe more aggressive coming out publicly saying that, look, Joe, we get it. You have your reservations about it, but we need to get this done. Or, you know, does he need to be more aggressive publicly about, look, we need to vote on the the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, which still uh, is sitting somewhere and hasn't been voted on? I mean, yeah, the presidency has uh, the privilege of being a bully pulpit. And we saw Donald Trump use that to his advantage every chance he could get right in ways that I don't think we've seen from a president and at least in recent memory, um, even going so far as to call people names, right. To get what he wanted. So I hope that Joe Biden doesn't go that far, but when it comes down to doing basic bills like DC statehood and, and the, for the people act and voting rights bills, like I do believe that president Biden, um, should be as vocal as he can and vice president Harris, right. Um, on getting Joe Manchin on board, uh, on making sure the American people know what's going on and be able to use uh, his platform and his bully pulpit to enact reforms that the American people are asking for. Right. And and, and the reason why I bring it up is just because I think that, you know, to some people, there's a perception that's like, oh, well, you know, Joe Manchin is really running this show because he's like the only on, on the fence Democrat who can sometimes act like a Republican and is really kind of standing in the way of some of the bigger things, like you say, D.C. statehood and even the infrastructure bill, he's we're going to need his him to be on board to get those things passed. So it was just, um, you know, something we were kind of wondering, you know, could Joe take a few pointers from Trump? Like you say, don't go that far, but maybe be a little bit more firmer to give a kind of a nudge to a Joe Manchin or someone. <laughs> sure. I mean, I also can't speak to what meetings are happening, happening, you know, privately. Uh, I don't know how many times uh, Joe Biden has called him and has 
talked to him. I do know, of course, that he's met with people like uh, Derek Johnson of the NAACP and Trent Eiffel, you know, big leaders uh, in this work uh, personally and has been talked to all of the entire, you know, congressional period about this bill and getting on board. Um, I hope that whoever he is listening to um, does use their bully pulpit because I, you know, I don't know that he is listening to everyone, but I hope that whoever he is listening to is trying to push him in the right direction. And I think that the mansion compromise may be evidence that he's listening to some people because I mean, two weeks ago, he said he was voting. No, now it's a maybe. So hopefully somebody is using their bully pulpit in the right way. <laughs> and you, you know, uh, that's, that's what we're definitely hoping for. And, and, and one thing I was thinking to kind of round off this segment, I know we're talking about the executive branch, but in thinking about state, you know, executive branch, we've got our governors. I don't know if Portia, if, if you all have been, you know, with Citizens United and let them, or in Citizens United and let America vote, if you all have been trying to maybe put some pressure on state governors to try to normalize our democracy. Oh, we're absolutely uh, pushing for that. So last year during the pandemic, um, we were a part of a huge coalition of people that were pushing governors and secretary of states to um, have no excuse mail-in ballots to um, make sure that if you do have an excuse, then COVID needs to be an excuse so that people aren't unnecessarily exposed to a deadly virus. Uh, And we're hoping that governors right now are standing up uh, against these voting reforms. But unfortunately, it uh, looks like a lot of the Republican governors are still singing the tune of Trump and are, um, even though they won't say that their elections were um, done improperly, they're saying that, oh, let's do some reforms to prevent problems that they're not even having, that nobody is having, but uh, they're still listening to the Republican Party of Trump. So absolutely, we're pushing governors to stand up against this and stand up against the big lie uh, and anything that's coming from it and to protect voters uh, at all levels. Exactly. I mean, you know, one thing I think people don't really understand is that in some cases, governors can have more of an effect on your daily life than the president, you know, Absolutely. or even Congress. Um, you know, we're from Mississippi, so we know we know this, you know, to a T. We've always, you know, at least in recent history, we've always had Republican governors who do things that aren't necessarily in the interest of the people of the state, um, but they're able to because they are governors and the president cannot come in and just, you know, with a magic wand and change everything, uh, which I think is sometimes is what we think, but is not the case, um, you know, on the ground in a state like Mississippi. We see this all the time. Right. I mean, the Constitution does afford certain powers to the states, right? Um, And a lot of those will end up affecting our day to day more than even congressional legislation, right? Like they handle the 30,000 foot view, state governors and your mayors and people like that are handling your day to day. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, really good. So that's that's our first segment there. And we're going to take a, a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the legislative branch. We talked a, a good bit about Congress, but we do have some questions for you, Portia, about what Congress is going to do sure. uh, in their role in trying to get some of these things done. And so I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. 
right, listeners, let's get back into it here, our second segment. Remember, we're joined today by Portia White, Vice President of Voting Rights and States Organizing for End Citizens United. So we were talking a little bit, uh, Portia, about the legislative branch in our first segment, but we really want to get into some of these anti-democratic norms that we're seeing and really the, the failure of Congress to really get uh, some some legislation passed that's going to really help us in a federal level. And when you look at it, Portia, uh, nationally, most Americans are actually behind the Democratic agenda, um, whether it be with voting rights, whether it be with policing, um, health care, infrastructure. I mean, the list goes on and on and on to where the Democrats have the support of American voters, but they don't have the support of their GOP counterparts. So when thinking about this, Portia, should the Democratic Party just move forward with the legislation that America is behind without the support of the GOP? Or do you feel that this would further divide our nation and maybe have a negative impact in thinking about the 2022 midterms? Look, I am a firm believer that the Democrats were elected by a majority of the people. Uh, that's why we have a majority in Congress and a majority in um, the presidential uh, arena. And that's the agenda that the American people want. Like we have seen polls as recent as what, two days ago around um, what Americans want from the presidency and um, approval ratings and all of that. And I think that not doing that would be at the detriment of both the party, but even outside the party, the people. Uh, We are clearly looking for a change um, and we are looking to the Democrats who are elected to make sure that they are representing us. Um, I think that if that does not happen, then we're going to have a rough year next year. I think that, you know, Republicans held a trifecta for a while and got a lot of the things that they wanted done. Um, But we can't seem to get some of the basics uh, done when Democrats are in Congress. And so I think that they are going to have to push forward because, again, Congress tends to be uh, a little bit more conservative, especially the Senate, more conservative than the American public. Um, And so I think that it is imperative that they get these things done with or without the support of the other party. And and one quick follow up to that, because I know, you know, you're you're over states organizing for your organization. Um, What what's been your your message out to, you know, the constituents who, you know, who maybe have, you know, friendly Democrats or unfriendly Democrats that that, you know, what what are you all telling them to do to, you know, get, you know, their senators and get their congressmen to actually do stuff? Because we've been talking, you know, throughout, you know, our season, you know, starting up to try to figure out how we can build more advocacy and lobbying to our people. So what's your message with getting people to to kind of do that? So I remind people that uh, your elected officials work for you and to not forget that. So act as though you are the boss because you are. Um, and it doesn't, it, it shouldn't be intimidating, right? Because they do work for you. It doesn't have to be you showing up to a lobby do- day, although if you can, please go. Uh, I think that those are extremely effective, but it can be as simple as calling their office. More than likely, you're not talking to them like uh, 99.9% sure. You're not even talking to the elected official. You're talking to an administrative staff person, right? And tell them how you feel about stuff. They're taking notes and they do deliver those to um, the elected official themselves. Or even better, when they come home on these recesses and you see them at the grocery store or you see them at church or you see them walking around at some event, go up and talk to them. 
one, they should know who you are. But even if they don't remember you, they should know how their constituents on the ground feel about these issues that are important. If you are passionate about an issue or you are upset that, I don't know, unemployment benefits have been cut from your state uh, earlier than the federal government is allowing because they want people to go back to these low wage jobs um, and you feel some type of way about that, please tell the, please tell somebody that can help. These are your everyday issues and they're not hearing from us. And what I remind people all the time is that, yes, the system was not built um, for them to hear from us. Right. Like these are we work nine to five jobs or work uh, different hours and they're in session and we can't always get to them. But they're hearing from the other side all the time. So when they're voting, they're like, oh, well, I only heard from three people on one side and 16 on the other It's because we're not calling. We're not texting. We're not emailing. We're not on Twitter. We're not on Facebook. We're not like talking to them and accosting them in the line at Piccadilly. It happens um, from the other side, but not from us because we just don't get involved enough. So please take these opportunities as you see them. Even tweeting them works, y'all. More politicians than y'all know check their Twitter. So please make sure that you're in some way speaking up about issues that are important to you. Right. Squeaky wheel gets the oil. I mean, that's that's how it works. Exactly. Um, um, and, and one other thing, you know, we're still talking about, you know, our politicians and, and what they respond to. Um, you said it earlier, but at least in today's political climate, you know, there, there isn't a middle ground pretty much. You know, it's either like you say, you're all on board or you're not. And what we have right now, we saw this really rise up during the Obama years um, where, you know, Mitch McConnell was famously known for just saying, we're going to our only job here is to ensure that this president can't do anything. We're uh-huh. the party of no. Um, and that's where we, we kind of still are. He said it again here with the Biden administration. They're just not going to work, you know, with with Democrats to try to get anything major done. So what do you think, you know, how, how do you see the current state of the two party system uh, with Republicans and Democrats? Do you think it's still working for us? And, you know, how, what do you think we can do to try to pull this thing back to a civil discord, um, you know, that we used to have where we could talk to each other, could work together on things? Oh, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we have, of course, a long way to go. Um, the two party system tends to leave out, like you said, anybody that's in the middle, anybody who is sort of in a gray area, who agrees with one party on one thing or and agrees with another party on the other. Um, but that's the way that most people are, right? Like uh, there are very few people who are all in for Democrats or all in for Republicans. And most people have some sort of mixed view um, that would coincide with either or both, right? Um, but the two-party system means that they draw a line in the sand and say, you're on one side and we're on the other. You're pro this, so that means that we have to be anti this. And they vote like it. Um, it forces voters to have to pick which issue is more important to them <laughs> when they go to the ballot box, right? Uh, which part of their lives are they going to vote for and which part of their lives are, are they going to vote against? Um, because we know when we see voters at the ballot box who are lower wage and who are, um, you know, just on this in a space where they should be voting uh, for Democrats end up voting Republican because, you know, this is what their parents uh, did or, you know, this is what they were told at church or X, Y, Z, right? Even though they're voting against their interests. And so I think that we have a lot of work to do to get people to see outside of this two-party system and figure out what works for us um, because it's leading to gridlock and we can't get anything done 
at, at really state, local, municipal, like whatever level, federal level, um, to work for the people because we're so interested or they, excuse me, are so interested in representing their party. That's a really important point, uh, Portia. And it's, and it's sad because it speaks to a lot of uh, American voters because I remember having conversations from some people in Mississippi where we were talking about, you know, progressive issues like civil rights, uh, better job opportunities. And they said that if a candidate was not anti-abortion, no matter what else they were for, they couldn't endorse that candidate. If that candidate wanted to raise you know, the minimum wage because that candidate wanted to endorse the access of women's choice, um, they couldn't endorse that candidate. So it, it, that, that's, that's where we are in America to where, you know, you, you have a party who won't, you know, listen and make changes for a lot of people. And you've got their voters who want Ben to just allow people to be able to live and, th- and, and flourish. Sure. And, you know, former Planned Parenthood uh, girl here, I have seen that happen. Um, And I've also heard the arguments on the other side. You know, why won't you endorse anti-choice candidates? Right. And the problem is that you're asking us to throw women under the bus when it comes to issues like that. Uh, So that is definitely a topic that we talk about a lot. Uh, We're not going... We as a Democratic Party, we as a people should not be willing to literally throw people under the bus uh, in order to get more votes. But it seems like that's what's having to happen just because they are concerned with winning and less concerned about uh, representing the people that they're supposed to serve. Exactly. I mean, you know, the incentive structure today is to do that, you know, throw people under the bus, win at all costs um, and forget, you know, the democracy or civil discord (laughs) or that real people will be hurt by the fact that Congress can't get anything done. Um, I, I do think, you know, there are some things, you know, we have to really examine a two-party system. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't expect you to solve it right here on the podcast. But, <laughs> sorry, to t- we hope we, you know, take a load off. You don't have to solve the world's problems right now. But uh, we did just want to get your, your input on that. So, uh, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we'll kind of move on to the judicial system, the, ju- the judicial branch, rather, and, and talk about its impact um, on the country and uh, what we're going through right now. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So we're continuing our conversation with Ms. Portia White, who is the Vice President of Voting Rights and States Organizing uh, for End Citizens United. So uh, we've talked at length about the presidency. We've talked a lot about Congress and the two-party system and whether that's working. Uh, but the other thing, Portia, that really stands in the way of things getting done um, or trying to keep you know harmful things the same is our judicial branch, um, namely the Supreme Court, whether that's at the federal level or the state level. Um, they do wield a lot of power. Again, something that's been growing over time but they've been involved in some humongous decisions. As you know, the Citizens United um, decision uh, was very harmful. It has allowed money to really seep into our politics. 
But even now here in, in 2000, you know, 2021 and 2020, we saw even last year in our home state of Mississippi where, you know, the, the people of Mississippi voted to allow medical marijuana, yet the, the judicial system in the state allowed a local mayor to essentially sue. And this did not become law because of some kind of technicality. And it just voided out millions of votes by people who said they wanted this to happen and it didn't. And so we've seen the power that federal judges or state judges can have in, in allowing policy to pass, but also protecting bad policy. And President Trump, you know, him and the, and the Republicans, one thing that they were laser focused on was passing and, you know, and appointing federal judges. And so, um, you know, what what do you think as far as how do you see the ju- judicial branch when it comes to trying to pass a Democratic agenda? And, and do you support, you know, maybe adding additional Supreme Court justices? Sure. So let me speak first to the Mississippi, to the Mississippi uh, medical marijuana issue. So to be fair to the judges, the judge did exactly what the Constitution said. He, like they enforced the Constitution as written. This was a failure on the part of the Mississippi State Legislature for years to fix this. They knew that this was a problem and could work against them at some point, but they never bothered to fix it. Y'all, this was a technical fix that could have easily been done in any legislative session, but it didn't happen. And so then a judge had to rule in favor of uh, the lawsuit, but this could have been fixed and should be fixed. So to be fair, uh, the judges did exactly what they were supposed to do in this case, but uh, the legislature has some work to do to get this fixed. Um, But as far as the importance of the judicial branch, I cannot stress enough um, how much more people should be involved in judicial races and paying attention to what's happening uh, with these federal court nominations that uh, presidents get to pick and appoint uh, and how much people should be caring more about the Supreme Court. Um, It feels, especially the Supreme Court, and I guess all of the judicial levels, it feels um, sort of like nebulous out there, doesn't really affect me, but all of it does. We have seen outside of politics, you know, we have judges that are deciding um, whether or not our people deserve to be killed, right? We're seeing judges uh, decide and Supreme Courts on the state level decide whether or not a person will be put to death that day or that night, right? Uh, We are seeing on the Supreme Court level, they are literally deciding whether or not uh, we get to have access to abortion, whether or not voter ID is legal, whether or not um, we get to protest in a specific way. This is all coming from the judicial branch, uh, and it affects us way more than we think. We're seeing uh, judges, local judges and local DAs either enforcing or throwing out cases um, that they feel to be, mm, how do I say So I'll give an example, right? So we have the New Georgia law, right, uh, where people can't give out water to voters in line. And so it's up to the local DAs and the local judges to enforce that and like try cases in their court and they can decide, yes, I'm going to try people for giving folks water or not. That's how important this is. This will literally be our line of defense for the next generation. Uh, If we ignore this, then we will have a big problem and we will not be able to like, there really won't be any remedy. 
No, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, you, you, what, one of the things you said, you know, we've been trying to really advocate for, and it's just about more awareness and, and, and all levels of government, whether it be your, your mayor, your president, your county executive, but especially the judicial branch. And I think that a lot of people ignore those races and I'll own up and say that I do too, oftentimes, just because it's not the stuff that, you know, we, it's not the most, you know, button, you know, hot topic button issue stuff, but these, you know, these people, you know, once the executive branch and the legislative branch passes on something, these are the people that get to have a say in, 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 in how these are kind of adjudicated and dictated in our society. So they have a lot of value. And and one thing, Portia, just to hit 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 us with a little bit of current news, um, we know that uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland um, is going to be expanding the staff of the DOJ to help with civil rights, all these voter rights, and different things like that. Um, and we know that y'all have really been pushing a lot for. I mean, you're you know Vice President of Voting Rights, states organizing, so we know that you have been kind of uh, in the news with this a lot and trying to see how this is going to impact you know voting rights and making sure that people are protected. Um, you know, our question for you, Portia, um, do you feel that this new stance from the DOJ, is that going to be enough to really change the game for, you know, what we're seeing that's happening around the country in these state, you know, uh, GOP-led legislatures? Or are we really going to need, you know, because we are having a stifling with the For the People Act and all the other things in Congress, are we going to really need something stronger from the Justice Department to really, you know, sure up the vote of millions of Americans? Sure. So I am happy that the Justice Department is paying attention. We have some really amazing friends who are working at the Department of Justice right now. Shout out to people like uh, Vanita, um, who are fighting, who know these issues in and out and who are making decisions based on their years of knowledge around what's happening with voting rights. Um, I think that there is still a lot more work to be done. Uh, I am glad to see that the administration and the Department of Justice are taking steps, but it's there's a reason that there are multiple branches <laughs> of government. It's going to take all of them uh, to get involved to make sure that we will not have disastrous um, repercussions next year or even this year from a lot of the things that are passing out of these state legislatures. In case folks who are on like don't know, 48 states introduced anti-voting bills this year, 48, nearly 400 of them were introduced. And so we have um, a lot of work to do outside of just hiring more staff at the federal level to make sure that voting rights will be protected next year. We are literally in the fight of our lives right now, uh, everywhere we turn. And that's a that's a, a shaky moment because I've been noticing that. And, you know, the, the crazy thing is, I, well, not crazy, but the funny thing is I've been watching uh, the show Blackish. I'm a little behind the curb in that. And uh, I'm watching some of the stuff that they're talking about with the election with Donald Trump. And it's just interesting and seeing, you know, watching uh, how they felt about it and then now living through what we feel and what we know about it. And, and it is, it's, it's really interesting and, and, and kind of getting that dynamic because we really are in the fight of our lives for democracy to where, um, you've got a political party who is anti-democratic, does not want to do anything progressive. And I'm not using that to go to any party, but progressive and bringing actual change is going to bring up communities. Um, and you've got a lot of people in America who just believe that, you know, we don't need to diversify. America is fine the way it is. Um, and they are willing to allow our democracy to slip away from us by, you know, insurrectionists and rioters. 
right. really, really Portia. It is, it's a it's a scary moment. And, you know, Dev and I were only, you know, 28. So it's not like we've lived through a lot of stuff like, the you know, the 60s or something like that. But it is a, uh, a trying time to, you know, be an adult that's engaged in our democracy. Yeah, no, I hear you. I just turned 30. So trust me, I get it. I'm like, I did not have to live through what my parents did. But it's very scary to see how many of these same arguments are still being had. Uh, and speaking, by the way, of Blackish, they also did a good episode about money and politics and the influence that it has. Uh, you guys should definitely check that one out, because I don't think that that's something that we as Black people talk about enough. It seems like an issue that doesn't really affect us. But when you look at who is funding all these racist, anti-everything we care about bills, it is the <laughs> same group of mega donors, billionaires, huge corporations that are funding the same things. And there is no repercussions for them, like breaking the rules and breaking campaign finance laws. Um, But they are the ones who get to influence all the things that we care about. And as Black people, I would highly encourage us to pay way more attention to who is funding candidates, who is funding campaigns, who's funding ballot initiatives, because when you follow the money, it will all lead to the same people who never stand for the things that we care about, raising the wage, healthcare, environmental issues. These are our issues. Like we have an opportunity to return the power of the political process to us by getting these major donors and these mega donors out. Because when they, our politicians can be more accountable to us, I promise you their positions will change. You're absolutely right. Um, money is the name of the game when it comes to politics now. Um, you know, and so we, we had an episode, you know, on campaign finance reform and I think it was with the Brennan Center for Justice and, and they have, you know, some initiatives, you know, that they're trying to push. And um, yeah, I mean, if you if you're wondering, like Portia said, why these things can't get done, it's probably because there's there's a lot of money going against the things that we really actually need in the country. And a lot of people are paying money to keep things on the status quo. So um, definitely a very, very good point to take home there. Um, you know, your wallet says it, it can actually get things done. Um, and work against you at the same time. And so uh, that's going to do it for our last segment here. We're going to take one more break, and then, Portia, we're going to give you one chance to answer uh, one question we have for you, give us a final message, and get us out of here. So we're going to take one last break, and we'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation, and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get back into it here. Remember, we're joined today by Portia White, Vice President of Voting Rights and States Organizing for N Citizen United. So, Portia, this is our final message section. Uh, just a good way to kind of wrap up our episode and leave it off with our fans here and to kind of set the stage. Um, you know, the the Honorable John Lewis said that if we don't do everything we can that's within our power to change things, that they're going to remain the same. Um, when looking at President Biden, he said that here in America, we're at a pivotal moment in our history. And I think that after this conversation we've had, uh, both John Lewis and President Biden speak truth. Um, we have so much momentum to better our democracy and change things. 
but that's going to take current leaders rising to the occasion, and it's going to take dedicated advocates and activists running for office, as well as the citizenry that's actually civically engaged throughout the local, state, and federal government. So with that in mind, Portia, um, we'd like you to just leave us with the final message that speaks, though, even, you know, this speaks to the fact that even though our democracy isn't always inclusive and that sometimes it takes time to improve that system, why now is really the best time for every and anybody to join the fight to really enact that meaningful change? Great. So just again, thank y'all so much for having me and being able uh, to talk about this with two fellow Mississippians has really made my night. Um, What I say to people about why now is important. So uh, we are in the beginning of a brand new administration. Uh, They are still hiring staff. They are still figuring out their entire four year policy agenda. Like this is the opportunity where we get to uh, mold and make change at the state, local, federal level. Um, and the presidential level, excuse me, including the presidential level. And so we have a very unique opportunity here with there are elected officials who are not backing down (laughs) on all levels, who are raising up, who are getting arrested, who are fighting uh, to make sure that our voices are being heard. And that means that they have to hear your voice to know what they need to be fighting for. I have been a lobbyist uh, for a few years and see all the time how one citizen writes an email or goes up to the office or talks to a legislator or to a congressperson is like, did you know this thing was happening? And the next thing you know, it's a huge piece of federal legislation um, or state legislation. But that can't happen unless we're talking to somebody who can actually make change. And that goes further than ranting on Facebook. That goes further than talking about it with your friends. It absolutely means that we have to talk to elected officials and to people who are running for office. It also means that we got to run for office, y'all. If you are seeing something that's not right, this might be an opportunity for you to represent the people in your neighborhood, the people that you care about the most, and to change things. The Democratic Party didn't get to where it is by people sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything. Our party is inclusive. The party is, um, uh, it reflects the things that we care about, and it's progressive because we pushed it. Out, we'll never forget during the Obama presidency, uh, I think it was the last State of the Union where we were sitting on the edge of our seats, wondering if he was going to say out loud, Black Voters Matter, or excuse me, Black Lives Matter. Um, And now here we are as a Democratic Party. There can't be a candidate running who isn't saying it. It's a big part of the convention. It's a big part of the platform. So the parties are what we make it. The agendas are what we make it. The elected officials are what we make them. And this is our opportunity to do something uh, to push our communities in the right direction. You're absolutely right. It takes it takes activism um, at all levels. Uh, folks like you who are out there doing the work, um, trying to get things done and holding, you know, our politicians accountable. Um, because, like you say, we have to make sure we understand that they do work for us. You know, they're taxpayer funded. Um, so we have to remember that when, you know, we, we can't just be like, oh, OK, I'll vote for them in November. And then we throw our hands up and say, OK, we'll just trust them that they'll get the job done. Um, because we have years of proof that that is not the case. We Absolutely. have to make sure you hold them accountable throughout the entire you know cycle and, and make sure your voice is heard. And like you say, get involved on the local level, which is where the real change happens. You know, it's nice to to support a presidential candidate um, or even, a, you know, a state senator. But on, on the local level, mayors, you know, city council, uh, you know, school district councils, anything like that. Get involved if you can, you know. 
But, you know, that's just a, a message that I think anybody can take. It's something we've been pushing me and Adrian both um, trying to get people to understand that it's going to take you getting out the house, <laughs> getting off Facebook, like you say, and actually getting involved and talking to people, making your voice heard. So definitely you, know, you announcing that you're running for office. Is that what's happening? That's not going to be me. That's going to be uh, President, future President Guest over there. Twenty twenty eight, I believe, is coming. Put me on your team. I got you. First of hey, you, you, yeah. I trust me. I'm gonna uh, definitely keep that in mind because that is that is my ultimate goal. That that's <clears throat> that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast was really to talk to people, lobby leaders, figure out better ideas and better ways for us to be a progressive community and make sure that society doesn't leave anybody out from black, white, gay, Latino, homeless, it doesn't matter. We want to make sure um, if you live in America, you've got an opportunity for, for success. So yeah, there, there will definitely be some um, some Adrian guests on the ballot uh, in the near future, uh, hopefully to say the least. But yeah, listeners, you've been listening to uh, Portia White, the Vice President of Voting Rights and States Organizing for End Citizen United. Um, really great uh, final message, Portia. I think everybody could capitalize on that. Listeners, we hope that you were able to pick up on all the nuggets that Portia laid out to us. Uh, we're going to be promoting this. We're going to be highlighting this. Uh, Portia, do you want to go ahead and give the hashtags for uh, in Citizen United so the folks can keep up with what y'all are doing? Absolutely. Um, I would suggest, especially since the For the People Act is coming up for a vote tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, June 22nd, that people go to actforthepeople.com, find out how you can get involved. This vote tomorrow is not the end, no matter what the result is. We've got a long way to go to protect voting rights. I would also suggest folks come follow us on Twitter, Facebook at Stop Big Money uh, as our In Citizen United tag and our Let America Vote tag is just at Let America Vote. Listeners, uh, thank you for uh, listening for, uh, with us today. Uh, we're going to take our last little break here. And when we come back, Devin and I, we're going to wrap up our episode. Uh, remember, we've had Portia White on from In Citizens United. So make sure you check them out. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Um, so coming up next Saturday, June 26th, we'll be right back here with you, bringing you all the news from the past week. And that'll come out again next Saturday, uh, June 26th, weekly roundup number two. So make sure that'll come out around noon so you can stream it while you're cleaning the house, getting ready for brunch on Saturday. Um, or you want to plan on Sunday as you're getting ready for church. Uh, that'll be coming out. And that'll be how you get all your news from the past week. And then um, coming up three days later on June 29th, you really want to make sure you tune in for this one. So we're going to be talking about critical race theory in our second episode of the season. We know this is a huge topic right now. Everybody's got their opinion on critical race theory. And we understand, too, that a lot of folks just don't know what it is or what it means, who's teaching it. So we want to dive into what is critical race theory and kind of dig into 
uh, where it came from and why there's such an uproar about it. And so our guest for that episode is going to be Miss Janelle George. She is an associate professor of law at Georgetown University. And so, again, we'll have her on the show for uh, our second episode, official episode of the season on June 29th. That is a Tuesday. Make sure you tune in. We're going to be discussing critical race theory. So again, Adrian, some good hot topics coming up, but also, uh, you know, this thing here where we're starting off really good in season three, but we do, you know, like to have your help to help us continue to make this thing even better. Uh, So Adrian, can you let the folks know where they can donate to us? Most definitely, Devin. You know, in in thinking about what Portia is doing and the work that we could do to advance things that in Citizens United are doing, or thinking back to uh, uh, Kevin uh, from the Collective Pack and what they're doing, think about you know, listeners, think about how far your dollars could go towards us aiding in you know providing advocacy you know for the People Act and things like that. So that's what it's really all about, listeners. You know, yes, you know, we say it costs money for. Podbean and Zoom, things like that. Fortunately, Devin and I have jobs. We can handle that. But if you really want us to take this thing further, if you really want us to really be able to provide change to your community and really provide dynamic response to what's going on in society, we really need you. You know, We'll be able to use your dollars to advance different things that are going on in your local communities and on the national scene as a whole. So go to our website, blackagendapie.com. Start off by giving a dollar a month. Very easy. Think about the things you blow money on, but think about you know how a dollar a month could really go towards building up organizations like in Citizens United. And then start from there. There's five, ten, fifteen, twenty, keep going. So like I said, go to blackagenda dot excuse me, blackagendapod.com and just click on that donate tab. The other thing we like to do uh, is highlight a charity of the month. Since we're coming late in the game for June, we decided not to do a charity of the month for June, but be on the lookout for July. We're going to be letting you know about our charity of the month on our June 29th episode, so be on the lookout for that. And Devin, you can uh, tell the folks about uh, where they can like, follow, and share. Right. So I'm pretty sure most of you have a cell phone sitting next to you. It'd be nice if you can grab it, open Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and type in at Black Agenda Pod. Um, That is where you can keep up with us during the week as we're getting ready uh, to release our episodes. As always, we like for you to go and like, like, share, and follow us on there. Share everything you can. Uh, We're trying to grow this podcast here. So again, uh, you can open Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can find us at Black Agenda Pod. And so um, you can also find us on YouTube. We have a lot of great t- content on there. We also have a, a 10 episode series featuring presidents and, and administrative uh, folks from HBCUs. 10 episodes, really great interviews, very, very interesting. You can find that just by searching the Black Agenda podcast on YouTube. Um, You can subscribe to us on there and also listen to some uh, past content. So before we get out of here, again, we want to extend a thanks to Portia White and End Citizens United for uh, allowing her to come on the show and her agreeing to come on the show and talking with us. Um, We covered some really, really interesting topics, and we hope you learned something. That is the goal of this whole thing. It's just to educate the community as far as the issues that are going on in the world today. So we thank you again, our listeners and our fans for sticking with us. And please buckle up. Like I said last time, it's going to be a very, very, very good season. So, again, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. 